At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote getting ready to take on spring Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. We, we, we were all under concern that uh, we were he was going to be coming back, but I can't be mad at a guy for not wanting to come back. That's uh, you know, it's just unfortunate. I look like a liar. I don't give a damn. But uh, man, I would have loved to have him back. Yeah, I don't think Cam Hayward's a liar. I just think he bought into the Stefan Tewitt story as much as some of the fans did, and. Probably shouldn't have done that, and maybe the Steelers shouldn't have either. That's how we start today's Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Benz with you. Glad that you are with us. Brought to us by BetRivers. Download the app today or go online to BetRivers.com. Boy, the overs hitting like crazy in hockey so far. Tonight, another chance in that regard as Game 2 is ready to hit for the Colorado Avalanche and the Edmonton Oilers in the Western Conference of the NHL playoffs, the conference finals. Edmonton right now plus 145 to win. The Avs at minus 167. If you want to go puck line, it's the Avs at minus one and a half paying out at plus 138. If you want to take the goal and a half for the Oilers, it's going to cost you 165. Here's where my eyes went after seeing what we saw in game one between these clubs. The over-under is at seven and a half. If you want to go over... If you think it's going to be like it was in game one, maybe not 14 goals, but, oh, I don't know, 9 or 10, 5 to 4, 6 to 4, 7 to 3, something like that, it's plus 114 if you want to root for all those goals. Darcy Kemper ain't playing. I'm not sure if that's good or bad right now for the over-under as it relates to the Avalanche's side of the fence. It's minus 134. It'll cost you 
If you think the game is going to regress to under seven and a half, boy, that empty net sort of looms large in the analysis there, doesn't it? Uh, my bet is to go with the Avalanche uh, either straight or giving the puck line here. Uh, I do think it's going to be relatively high scoring. I don't know why I got 5-3 in my head, but I do. So uh, I guess I'd go small and play the over at 7.5 if that's what I was going to do to throw some money on this game. Entertain yourself. Enjoy yourself in watching it. Boosted bets as far as Bet Rivers goes. I always have a credo, bet on Connor McDavid. Uh, it's going to pay out at plus 1,200 if he scores the first goal of the game against a backup goalie. Why not? It was plus 1050. Now it's plus 1200. No, the odds aren't on his side, but he is Connor McDavid and he is a point machine and he scored in the first game. I think he'll probably score again somewhere along the line in this game. So why can't it be the first goal? Got the uh, NBA going on tonight as well. Steph Curry to record a double-double. That is now plus 640. Jalen Brown over 36 points, rebounds, and assists. Actually, let's make that 36.5 points, rebounds, and assists versus the Warriors. That is a bet that's boosted to plus 110. That's not a ton for Brown. Uh, I'm not wild about either of these two bets, though, to be frank with you. I think I want to see how this plays out matchup-wise before I get down to specifics too terribly much. Uh, I'll take the Celtics, though, uh, to, since I'm you know picking them to win the series. I might as well take them in this game. They're going to have to sneak one out eventually, and why not sneak one out when the Warriors aren't quite as sharp and maybe coming off a lull the same way that we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning struggle in Game 1 after a long lull against the Rangers. I'm not sure if fatigue versus rust kicks in in game one as much as people think that it does. And uh, I think we saw evidence of that in terms of the Rangers going out on the plus side for them winning 6-2 to two last night. Man, ever since Zabinijad got hot late in that series against the Penguins, he has stayed hot through the Hurricane series. He scored again. Heedles really picked up late in the Penguin series, through the Hurricane series as well. Lots of talk that they're maybe figuring something out when it comes to Andre Vasilevsky in the Eastern Conference. The goals that he's allowed, I think half of them so far have been high blocker. Four or five of the goals that the Rangers scored last night were also high blocker, so that is something to track as this series advances. Uh, if you're looking at the Lightning and Rangers for the next game, the money line is Tampa Bay still minus 125. The Rangers at plus 108. We're going to talk about this more with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network when he joins us for the second half of our podcast. He's on with us once a week to talk hockey. Uh, he joins me as well as Breakfast with Ben's over at Trib Live. But um, it just speaks to people now, especially the odds makers, knowing that people know this and will jump all over it. I mean, in theory... In a playoff series, if you see the home team in game one whitewash the visiting team by a final score of 6-2, to two, you're not going to see the second game, usually, where that road team is a favorite the next time around. But we all know what the Lightning are like in bounce-back games. It's like 17 straight for Vasilevsky in bounce-back games. Everybody seems to be on this, knows this, that's where the money is going. And the odds are reflecting it. But I just got to giggle and laugh at it a little bit. I know I'm jumping around a little bit here. But let's get back to the NBA Finals. As I said, I'm going to go with the Celtics tonight. Uh, I'm going to go with the bigger payout to win straight and play small. Plus 143. I, I might wobble on that. 
check back with me right at tip off. Plus four is the spread. If it stays over a possession, yeah, I'll probably talk myself into the spread. It's just minus 114. I'll leave the over-under alone. Again, I don't like playing the over-unders in the first games of series, especially with something like an extended layoff as the Warriors have had. Uh, 213.5, that kind of seems about right to me, and I like to see how the matchups play before I get invested in over-unders in series, particularly this one. But hey, I put my money down on the Celtics already to win the series, and if they're going to squeeze one out, why not squeeze out the first one, like I said earlier? So... That's my call for tonight. Baseball, break up the Buckos. He's not bunting. It hits a high drive to left if it's fair. Going back, and it is a fair ball. Clear the deck with a Castro cannonball. His first of the season. How do you like that? Yeah, that's how it's sounded on AT&T Sportsnet. And the Pirates somehow managed to sweep the Los Angeles Dodgers. Their first sweep of the Dodgers since 2015. Their first sweep of the Dodgers in L.A. since 2000. Yeah, that's right, 22 years since 2000. That's the last time the Pirates went to Los Angeles and won a three-game series as they did over the course of the last three with Jose Quintana again pitching. Okay, you know, got midway through the fifth, four and two-thirds. And um, wasn't dominant by any stretch, but it gave them a decent enough start. They jumped on L.A. early and massaged the lead. They actually looked like the better team uh, in that game and maybe throughout the course of the series. If you just didn't know who the players were and you blindly you know, threw softball jerseys out there and said, okay, go play this game, you would have thought that the Pirates were the better team. And um, that's stunning to me, especially when you look at the payroll between the clubs I don't know how much I like the Dodgers even tonight after losing three in a row. You know, they had taken care of Arizona in four straight. They've been playing well before taking on Pittsburgh, which makes the sweep of the Dodgers all the more stunning from a Pittsburgh point of view. Now the Pirates get that Arizona team after a day off, so I don't have odds for you yet on Diamondbacks and Pirates here at PNC Park on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But I actually think the Pirates could be favored in a couple of those games, particularly given a lot of the national attention that sweep seemed to get. That was getting play uh, on a lot of the major national websites, uh, ESPN baseball coverage. Uh, I think people enjoyed the sweetheart story of the scrappy battling buckos, the low-budget team taking out the big-budget Dodgers, and people are scratching their heads. So, yeah, I bet you the Pirates are favored on a few occasions. There might be some good value on the Diamondbacks in a game or two during this series. Uh, the Dodgers, I don't like them tonight, as I was saying earlier against the Mets. The Mets are playing great. They're scoring lots of runs. Gonzalez has been good. He's pitching tonight at 5-1. and one. But I like the Mets, and I like Taewon Walker pitching this evening. Give me New York to win if that payout is what it is at plus 148. I certainly don't like the Dodgers at minus 175. I think Keegan Thompson from the Cubs can get another win and improve to 6-1. and one. It's not going to cost you very much against the Cardinals or Libertor, the young rookie going for 2-0. and oh. Chicago at minus 107. The Cards at 109. I'm going to lead Cubbies in that one. And uh, I'm going to take the Orioles too. Baltimore minus 107 against Seattle. Give me the O's. Maybe go under 2 at minus 109. All right, now on to the Steelers. Your Cam Hayward talk about it a little bit. To open the city cast about Stefan Tuitt deciding to retire. 
a lot of people critical of the Steelers for not being out in front of this and knowing what Tuit was going to do. I'm a little bit more upset with the Steelers for not implementing a deadline earlier for Tuit and his decision making. Um, not that they didn't plan ahead for a decision in early June, but that they did allow Tuit to make up his mind all the way till June because that was clearly the case. They wanted to get the June 1st date as a hard deadline. They wanted to make it a hard deadline before they had to fine him to not be there for mandatory minicamp. I don't think they wanted any part of that mess. So it's clear that it came down to June 1 for the Steelers to tell Tuit to make up his mind. But if they're going to tell him to make up his mind eventually, then why not do it in March? Why not do it in April when free agency and the draft are around? Because then you have a clearer picture of what you might do. Now, I'll be frank with you. I don't know that the Steelers, even if they had known that Tuit wasn't going to come back in March and wasn't going to come back in April, I don't know if they approach free agency or the draft all that differently. Do they maybe take Jones from UConn in the second round instead of Pickens? Perhaps. But when I looked at the draft as it rolled around, after they decided to take Pickett in the first round, I didn't automatically assume that they'd just take the best defensive lineman available, which would have been Jones at that point in the second round, and consider that a lock because I think they feel like they've got pieces there. I think they feel like with Alualu coming back, that's going to mitigate the loss of Tuit substantially because in their heads, I think the absence of Tuit was augmented by the absence of Alualu. Like, if Alualu had been there, I think they assume that their run game wouldn't have been nearly as bad. I think they look at those two injuries as being compounding on each other, not so much one being way worse than the other, two it being worse than Alualu. And with Loudermilk, who they like, and with Wormley, who gave them something at least in the passing game, I don't think that they would have necessarily prioritized addressing D-line over wide receiver when they lost more players at wide receiver than they did at defensive line and had fewer answers. They still took two wide receivers, and I think they still feel like they've got a potential steal in Leal anyway. So I don't know, and it's obvious, they didn't like any of the free agents that were out there to play their style of defensive line. They might get one now uh, because they might find them for super cheap, but you know, Akeem Hicks... I don't think they were going to sign him for as much as Mike Tomlin seems to like him, you know, unless this decision like literally came within the last 24 hours. And if you listen to Alu Alu, what he said today and Hayward is more a matter of days, not a matter of hours that this decision happened right around the Hicks thing. They weren't going to sign him. You know, they, they could have signed in Dominican Sue. They might, if they did, they could have done it before. They can still do it now. Like, I just don't think there were free agents that fit their style of approach along the defensive line that they were willing to give veteran money to. So I don't kick them for that so much, and I'm not as on them as other people are for the strategy. It's just that I'm on them more for if they were going to incorporate a hard deadline, why didn't they give themselves as much of an opportunity to do so and move that up onto it and not allow it to linger until June when it came down to June 1st. I mean, they did everything that a franchise could to bend over backwards for his decision-making process, and those last couple months to me were perhaps the most important for the team. 
What do they do X and O wise? I just hope it's more Valu Alu. I know Chris Wormley was talking today. In fact, uh, we can hear that. This is what Wormley had to say uh, about his role moving toward the season and uh, in terms of eating up snaps with two it out. Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm you know poised to, to fill that role. Um, I'm excited for Tyson to come back healthy. Um, I'm excited for some of the young guys to, to kind of step in and, and, and play some uh, meaningful snaps this season. Um, but as a unit, I think we're excited, and I think it starts with Cam. Um, and I'm just, just excited for for the opportunity again for for this season. Yeah, and I don't look at it that way. I, I want more of Alu Alu. I want Alu Alu to start on the nose like he did before, and then be the main second defensive lineman with Hayward to stay on the field in sub packages and then have Wormley take snaps from both of them to rest and spell them that's how I would prefer to see it done and Loudermilk can continue to get reps here and there and you can get Leal uh, get his feet wet but you know like try to get more of a rotation in there so Hayward and Alualu don't kill themselves you know they got lucky with the amount of snaps that Hayward could take on but they do this load management thing all the time with T.J. Watt. And to be completely transparent, we might be talking about the wrong thing today when it comes to depth issues. The greater depth issues to me are at the outside linebacker position. And I won't be stunned. Mark this down. Write it down. The money that they save on Stephon Tuitt, don't be stunned if that money ends up going more towards backup running back and outside linebacker with the excess cash that they have now than throwing money at a veteran defensive lineman because Tua isn't there. Don't be surprised because I think they feel that those are more areas of need. They should. They just have fewer experienced players that are any good at those positions than they do defensive line. It's sort of like how they view secondary. It's sort of like how they view the offensive line. I think they feel that they've got more defensive linemen who can play a little bit than they do at outside linebacker and running back. And I predict they will act accordingly in how they allocate their cap dollars. All right, when we come back, we will talk with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He joins us once a week for Hockey Talk. He's on the way next in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. It is our weekly hockey podcast with Brian Metzer, the Pittsburgh Penguins radio network. A little bit later in the week this week for a number of reasons. First and foremost, Memorial Day. Secondly, just the way that the schedule broke out for the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the National Hockey League. We want to get Mets on to talk about both series, which are now underway. We are coming to you on Thursday morning. So after game ones in both series, both of those games, Mets, I thought high scoring and exciting. It's kind of what I expected in Avs and Oilers, maybe not 8-6, but the tone, <laughs> the style of the game is yeah. what I expected. And Way more offense than I anticipated, especially in that second period for the Rangers and Lightning. How about you? Well, it was interesting to see the the Lightning give up essentially more offense than they they sometimes did in, in a series in these playoffs. I mean, they, they got lit up. That's something they're not used to. Uh, the Rangers look like they're feeling pretty froggy with themselves at this point. They're the kid line on fire. I mean, Philip Heedle 
two goals in the second period in the clinching game, if I'm not mistaken, in the last series and two goals in the second period again against the Lightning. And they made Vasilevsky look a little bit human in that one. And what's interesting, though, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they talked to the fact on the NHL network following that one, Tim, that it wasn't that surprising that Vasilevsky looked human because they had the eight days off. And they said in his career with that time, that type of layoff, he typically has that kind of performance. But now they get to face the Vasilevsky and the Lightning team that is, what, 17-0 and 0, following a loss uh, in the playoffs dating back through these, couple run, these cup runs that they've had. So that'll be pretty interesting to watch. And then on the other side, to your point, yeah, I'm with you. I didn't expect it to be, you know, um, a 16-17 type goal game. But that said, all of that firepower on both sides, it was fun to watch them get out there and score. And you wonder what would have happened if uh, Kemper didn't leave. I I know he wasn't looking great in the playoffs. He still scares me for them a little bit on the Avalanche side because he gives up too many rebounds. But he was kind of settled in and playing better once, uh, you know, they had to make the change to Frank Coos. And then, of course, Koskinen came in on the other side because Smith got lit up. It seemed like it was just a little bit of a, a back and forth thing with the Oilers, you know, creeping back into the game. And it, it was unbelievable to see it be a one goal game late until the empty netter, whenever all those goals had been scored. I mean, the, the abs looked like they were going to run away with it. And it was a lot more of a nail biter than they anticipated. What do you think tonight? I still think it's high scoring. I don't know if it gets to 14 goals again, but yeah. um, you know, can you put the over high enough for you to be scared off of it? Mets? What do you think? No, you know, that's the thing. Um, that's it's like almost a trap because everyone's going to say, okay, the offensive stars on both sides, they put up those 14 goals. You're looking at the fact that um, pretty much everybody got involved in some capacity in the offense in that game. But I I feel like the goaltending is going to be a little bit better, but the scary thing for avalanche fans has got to be if you have Pavel Frankus in there again, I know that he is, he's not, you know, terrible or anything he's he's pretty he's a pretty big prospect still I know he's a few years into that moniker of being a high prospect for them but he's not the starter so that maybe opens a door for the Oilers to start scoring some uh some goals in that game I don't anticipate eight six so I would think that you're you're probably still safe going over depending on it's seven and a half it's seven so it's Uh, seven and a half but it's paying out at plus 112 you know, Ooh. what strikes me, what strikes me is if you're at under seven and a half, <laughs> it's minus one thirty two, you know, like <laughs> that, seems that might be the safer bet, though, Tim. I know, like, you know, it, it, because I, I still think it'll be like a, a five two game, which is puts you right on the cusp mm. or like a four three game. However, when you get to four three, you know, there's the chance of the empty netter and then you're 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 boned if you <laughs> if you do that yep. and it's seven and a half. So. Maybe take all you got and throw it on the over and hope for the best with all that offensive firepower. With the lightning, so I'm looking at it right now, and it's pretty clear that those that set the odds are of the opinion people are going to know the Vasilevsky never loses two games in a row factor because the lightning are at minus 125 to win at New York a day after they just <laughs> lost six to two in game one. Like no, no other team is going to get that kind of love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that said, sometimes the balloon does burst a little bit. I mean, these guys 
we know from when we watched the Penguins and their back-to-back runs, Tim, and they had the World Cup of Hockey thrown in the middle there. That was an awful lot of hockey. And by the time that they ran into the Washington Capitals in the third year when they were, they were making their run, they still almost got by them. I mean, that, you can make that point that they were in the series and they didn't get blown away or anything. But sometimes the bottom just kind of falls out and, you, and you, you know, your run is over. Now, is that the case for the Lightning here? I don't know. So I still find it interesting that everybody is so heavily invested knowing that this team has that ability to bounce back. So I, I don't know that I'm prepared to say that the bottom's going to fall out yet. It looked that way a little bit last night, but when you hear all that stuff about the layoff and then you stir in what we just talked about and you just mentioned with the, um, the you know, bouncing back from a loss in such grand fashion, I, I kind of like the lightning in that game to even it up at one, one. Uh, they're not the type of team that goes down two games in a series, even whenever they end up losing a series. So I would anticipate that they're going to find a way to get it done and, um, you know, bring a, a tied series back to their home rink. What have you felt about the coverage between ESPN and TNT? You know, I think uh, deservedly so. Um, the broadcast was taking some heat for how it handled the offsides call and the McCarr goal. Gaharski's driving me nuts when it comes to some of his analysis. It makes me appreciate how good Gene Steratore is at his <laughs> job in the NFL. Yep. Like, you know, every, it's not so much that you thought it was going to be overturned and it wasn't, you thought it was going to stay and it was like, you know, that happens to everybody. But, you know, the fact that you didn't even have the rule that was eventually used to make the decision at your fingertips like no. that, I, I don't think they've done a very good job in that role. And the rules guys have come into play a lot in these in these playoffs. Yeah, there's been a lot of gray area things, either with hits or with that kind of play. The, you know, I will tell you this much. The person who broke it down the best and ended up opening my mind to the fact that it should have been, it was a fine call was Stu Grimson on the NHL network because yeah. the replay he showed made it crystal clear why they allowed the goal. And they did not do that on the television broadcast. All I kept seeing on the television broadcast is a lot of people saying it's clearly offside. Look, you can see if the skate doesn't get back before and all this kind of stupid stuff. Well, Stu broke it down and you and I have played hockey over the years at, at different differing levels uh, compared to the pros, but it's kind of whenever, you know, you're, you've got a delayed offside, you're allowed to shoot the puck in and yeah. your guy can still clear before you enter the zone. That's what McCarr did. He had the puck and he pushed it across the blue line and didn't touch it again until Niskutin got his, uh, his skate back. He touched up, yeah. Yeah, so he touched up, which opened it up, and it was made it a, a good call. And he had a replay that showed it from the front, showed his stick never touching the puck again, and explained it perfect. And he even broke it down. He, he busted out the Jay Caulfield uh, telestration a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it, it, was, it, it made total sense to me. But on the broadcast, you open the door for a lot of consternation and people to be upset about it because – you didn't do that. You, you, you just kind of kept showing the side view and you could never really see the puck ahead of McCarr's stick the way they kept showing it. It looked like he was in possession of the puck on some of those replays. And if he was, you, you, there's people that couldn't get their head around the fact why it would have been OK. And they started talking about that whole possession rule of the puck where because um, that came up a couple years ago where they changed up things a little bit and said, well, if you had a guy in possession and coming in, it, you know, what, I never even really understood the way they explained that in the past. The way Grimson did it made perfect sense. The way Koharski did it was crap. Uh, and it's a shame that these guys are collecting a paycheck to not really know the game. And I guess that explains why 
there were so many questionable calls when they were actually officiating games. Because if you don't know the rules or you don't even have a rule at your fingertips, I, and they I weren't going think, to Toronto all the time in their day either. No, no, they weren't. And, and for me, you should have been able to show the rule right on the TV screen, break it down, you know, that a guy, as long as they can, they have the option to touch up, like we just mentioned there. And as long as he didn't touch the puck again, once he pushed it across the blue line, which he never touched it over till Nechuskin got his, till he got his skate back and it was good to go. So uh, that made sense. Koharski did not. And, and I'm with you. I, I think it's been a disservice to the newer fans that are maybe lured in at this time of year where there's maybe not as many things catching their eye and so they're paying attention to the Stanley Cup playoffs in the conference final or something and they're going to get disappointed and say boy they let these guys get away with this that's a bad call and it really probably wasn't I think it was a pretty spot-on call when it was made and I saw a good explanation it just did not come from that broadcast back to the Rangers and some of their guys Vetrano cop these are free agents uh Johnny Gaudreau is going to be a free agent anybody catching your eye that you think could be in penguin striking distance as far as what money they have and I know that is largely dependent on what Ron Hextall decides to do with Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin in fact it's entirely dependent on that but yeah um who's striking you as somebody that might be in their wheelhouse that's going to be an unrestricted free agent I I just, I mean, I know a lot of folks would love to see like Johnny Gaudreau or something like that replace Evgeny Malkin. I just don't think that's realistic. He's probably going to get paid and he's probably going to end up getting paid up there. I mean, they're, they're not going to lose him. He really opened up Sutter's eyes after not doing so in the first year. Once Sutter came on board, I mean, if you recall, he was so hard on yeah, Gaudreau last year. And then all of a sudden this year, he was their best player. So it worked the, the tough love. Um, some names that, that get kicked around here, at least late in the season. And I don't, I still don't know that they're realistic. There were people trying to say, well, why don't they go out and try and get Nazem Kadri, who's suddenly becoming a star uh, in the league. I, I don't know that he would fit in uh, perfectly, but he can skate and he has skills. So that's somebody to consider. Vince Trocek, of course, people think that Penguin should make a phone call to being a local guy. If you lose Gino, he would be a great number two behind Sidney Crosby and probably keep your center depth as best, you know, as, as good as it's been uh, in recent years because of his offensive upside. He has injury issues in his past almost just as much as Gino, though, and he's coming off a similar knee injury two summers ago that's not that different than what Gino had. So that's something to keep in mind. And and maybe you got to go after a Frank Vitrano, Tim, simply so he doesn't play the Penguins. My because God. Because he scores against them all the time, right? And Cop was getting there, too, by the end of that series. And, you know, and, and the regular Kopp, season, too. Yeah, and, and that's a guy that I had my eye on at the trade deadline that I wish that the Penguins could have somehow gotten. And he was on a line in Winnipeg years ago with Brandon Tanev that made them look so good. That, that was such a great checking line that could score and do so many good things. And then the Penguins ended up with Tanev, who was, who was fine here. But it seems like Cop would have been the better fit for Sullivan's system, and he has more offensive upside. And he's just – he got to New York. He was a point-of-game player after the trade deadline. I mean, he came down the stretch for them scoring like crazy and doing so many good things. I would love to have uh, a player like that. So, you know, maybe that's somebody that they could make, uh, you know, a phone call to as well. But I, I think that the priority, of course, right now from everything you see in here is they're going to look at, at Gino and Latang. If they lose one or the other, then, of course, the, the wallet gets a little bit bigger and you have some some latitude. I would think, though, that if you do get to that point, they've got to try and see where they stand with both of the in-house candidates well before July 13th when free agency hits 
because if you wait a couple days in, you're going to lose guys that you could use to offset. You yeah. remember Ray Shiro kind of cut his own uh, nose off to spite his face with uh, Marion Hosa because he negotiated with him into the dead into the uh, window and he mm-hmm. waited two or three days. And then a lot of free agencies came, or free agents came off the board and he ended up with Miro Shatan and Ruslan Fedotenko, which they won a cup, but it didn't look so great right. in the moment. So maybe you can um, find a way to see where you stand with Gino and Latang before the 13th. So you can make the call to a Trocheck or somebody, but you know, on the first day and start a negotiation with them as well. And I'm wondering where Raquel fits into all this too. Is he somebody that they prioritize <laughs> at all or not? I still kind of think, I mean, based on some of the success that he had in your top six, and I know it's a very small sample size because he was only here for a short period of time, played mm-hmm. only what a, a game and a shift essentially in the playoffs. So we don't know for sure how he is going to be here long-term, but I think I saw enough to appreciate his ability to move his ability to score uh, or, or get involved offensively. And it seemed like he could play the Mike Sullivan system which you, you always want to collect players who are capable of doing that. And I don't think that he had the type of year that is going to have him breaking the bank this season. So he may play for a similar type contract. Maybe you could get him signed to the old Brian Russ deal where you give him something like three and a half million, maybe, maybe 3.7. That's kind of where he is like now though, right? He's going to want to well, leave. He's a little under that though. Um, I thought um, he, cause he was, I mean, I was trying to make this comparison before it was just under where he is. And I'm pulling it up as we speak here. If my internet cooperates. And when I look at the penguins here who are, boy, it's funny to see them way down the cap list him whenever. Um, oh, you know, as far as space. Have, yeah. When they, they yeah. have this space right now. Yeah, Raquel, who they already have listed as an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, he was, I think I was thinking of his old deal. You're right. He was at 3.78 right now. Yeah. So strike me down uh, for my memory failing me. But I think you could probably get him for four then. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to get that much money uh, based on what he did this season. Now, I think his productivity goes up. So maybe you get him to agree to a a like a one-year, two-year type situation at about $4 million because you know that he can play with, with Sid. He could probably play with whoever you're going to have as your second center, and then you can slot him in there um, and then maybe give him a bigger contract if he produces on that one. He seemed like he liked it here, but that said, it's the same thing. Small sample size, short amount of time, so maybe he wants to you know check out free agency and see what's out there, and maybe the Detroit Red Wings go after him since they missed out on Brian Rust. Lastly, Mets, regarding the anniversary of the 1992 championship team, um, it was based on the time we are recording yesterday. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. yesterday uh, that we saw the 30th anniversary of the 92 team. There wasn't as much hyper hoopla for this as there was uh, when we went through, even in a partial house COVID situation, I felt like there was more um, remembrance of the 91 team. I guess the First one is always the one you hold sweetest, but man, that 92 team, it, I think it was better than the 91 team. I don't know if it was quite as good as the 93 team, it, except when it mattered, when it totally yeah. was, but that team was such a buzzsaw by the end. I know it took him some time to get going in the first round against Washington and everything. And they had the Lemieux incident with Graves in the second round, but those 11 games in a row, I felt like they could have played until August before they would have lost one. It, you're right. And they, they looked unbeatable. And especially when you even consider game one against the, the Blackhawks, so they had to bounce back 
and they still the two didn't goals like, in five minutes yeah, the yager and lemieux yeah you you just didn't even feel like they were going to lose that game in the moment you know even though they were it was down so three nothing to start and then four yep. one and then they stormed back and they stormed back and uh what was pretty neat for me that day uh this is an oddball story there was Gordon's Shoes in Bloomfield, which is gone now. I think they may exist somewhere in the city, but it was a shoe store that was on Liberty Avenue in Bloomfield where I grew up. I got a pair of shoes that day with Mr. Rogers. He was getting a pair of shoes. And I just, I, for some reason, I remember me getting a pair of shoes. Did with he Mr. change Rogers. his shoes after he bought them? <laughs> he didn't, but I was thinking you it. You have a cardigan <laughs> on. And I used to th- sit there and think that I bet you when he changes his shoes, that's the ones I saw him buying at Gordon's. But it was a special <laughs> magic moment getting shoes with Mr. Rogers. Then Mario scores the game winner. And I think I leaped up. I was watching that game with my dad. And uh, it's like always a fond memory for me that whole day because of the way it went. The back-to-back cup run was off and running after that victory. You didn't feel like they were in danger at all after pulling off that one. And you're right. They could have played through the entire summer and never lost again. And Really, the 93 season didn't really give you much reason to think that that wasn't something they could have done the way that they played. They were so dominant, President's Trophy winner, and uh, unfortunately just ran into the New York Islanders in, in their bid for a three-peat. But it was just such a special moment. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, wasn't the anniversary also of uh, Benino, Benino, Benino? Because I just saw a video last night that his goal I know it was the, the five-year anniversary of the Kunitz goal. Yeah. So that the, passed just the um, the other day as well. We've had so that's the good thing. Whenever you've had some success for your franchise, all these anniversaries start to kind of fall right in the window. In the three same or four time, weeks. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. So, uh, but I'm with you. I I think '92 was was really a special kind of elixir after the '91 one because the '91 one was almost unexpected the way it all worked. And in '92, you were feeling really good with that team because of how how good they were offensively and how much that they were able to get accomplished. And boy, that was such a fun run. So Mr. Rogers got a new pair of shoes and Yarmir Yager deked for Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> out of their skates. So. Yes. And uh, boy, we, we, you and I didn't even get to talk about this. You speak about Yags. How about he almost died like a week ago? Oh my gosh. We haven't <laughs> talked about that yet. He got hit by a tram. Yeah. You know, and I, I was wrong. I was saying on DVE that it was the driver's side door that got hit by the tram, and I can't believe he survived and, and apparently just had a bruise on his wrist and a bruise on his hip. Well, I'm told that in the Czech Republic, they drive on the other side of the road. I was wondering like, that, yeah. Like in England. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to guess. I've never been over to any of those countries. I'm not going to guess which, who drives yeah, like England too. and who's does, who does not, but. That probably saved his life. Might have saved his life, yeah. And it came on the same day when he announced he was going to play at the age of 50 for Cladno. It's just, it's unbelievable, this guy. Um, I saw some, I think Kevin Allen wrote something. He writes for a bunch of outlets these days now that he's not with USA Today. And I think it was a note a notes column he wrote. And I always like reading his stuff just because he's still pretty well connected. And he, um, he wrote something for Hockey Buzz. And he had like these seven bullet points about things about Yarmir Yager um, that were different in the world when he started playing compared to today. It was really, really wild to see. Um, but it's just crazy to think Yags is still going to do it. Um, and he could have been killed in that accident. I know Yvonne Halenka, his old Czech coach, was killed in a car accident yeah. in the Czech Republic. So I'm like, boy, wouldn't that have been crazy for him to go the same kind of way after having so many issues with him once the Penguins essentially brought him to Pittsburgh for did Her- Yags. Did Herbie die in a car accident too? Yes, he did. Uh, Coming from a golf tournament in Minnesota, I think. He went off the road. 
And Briere? Uh, yeah, they, yep. And Briere did. And um, there was another, um, who was at Baz Bastine or somebody, the old GM of the team, he died in a car accident too, if wow. I'm not mistaken. So that would have been really creepy to, uh, to see that happen, but God love him. He survived like Yaramir Yager always does. And um, it's kind of, kind of neat to think he's going to still be playing at 50 and what a great personality he still has. I, you know, I've been following it. ever since I saw that post, I, I, I made a comment or liked it. And you know how social media works, even though I was following his stuff. Now his stuff comes up every day because the algorithm has noticed that I interacted with him. And so um, I've been seeing a bunch of his things and he posted a picture of himself and Marty Straka in nineties gear uh, yesterday oh, wow. saying they were fashion fashionistas essentially. And they're all denim look with, he had a, a white, a white with like blue striped shirt, half unbuttoned down to his chest. Marty Straka had like the woven brown belt with like bugle boy jeans and like feathered hair. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, before we go, you mentioned 93 briefly, and it crosses my mind every now and again, how unique of a loss that was in the sense that it's hard for me to come up with losses that sting a city after there was so much success leading up to them. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yep. when you think of kicking the groin, painful losses in given cities you think about jordan with the dagger against the Cavs when cleveland had no success you think about you know red right 88 and the drive against cleveland when they had no success the norwood miss for the for the buffalo bills um you know tim wakefield and aaron boone bucky bleeping dent in boston <laughs> like you know those are the examples that are easy to come up with cabrera for the pirates yep. you know like there are very few examples of when a team that had won championships recently suffered a loss like that. And it's still a gut punch to that city. When you just bring up the name, like Maz still does that to Yankee fans from 1960. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But you know, they were a great team leading up to that and coming out of that. Um, the, the, the penguins were a great team having one, two in a row. And, it's just so rare to me to come across. I don't know if any others, uh, you know, examples leap to your mind, but it's, it's hard for me to come up with ones that are like that. You know, I would think a lot of those things tend to happen on the run to being a good championship team. Like you're, you're right on the cusp yeah. and you lose and, and it's heartbreaking. It's you usually not. There. Yeah. Yeah. Something happens like, like, like you kind of mentioned it there. I mean, whenever the bills lose four super bowls and they, they thought they had the best team in football and they never really get over that hump. Well, I, this, I think it just stings because I think it, it really magnifies how hard it is to win championships. And I think that gets lost sometimes on fans because they just think it should be easier than it is. And, um, and, and that's the fight you have every year when you look at these things, because they're like, Oh, the penguins, you know, they, they only made it to the conference fight one, then they got eliminated. Well, that's still, excuse me, a pretty good year when that happens. And I don't think people really get their head around that as much. So when you get a chance to, have a team like that that was by far the best team in the league and they just had no answer for that defensive approach of the New York Islanders. And I think almost even more than David Volick, who, who we hate for the goal he scored, you kind of hate Darius Kasparitis in the moment. And how many examples do you have like that too, Tim, that not only do you have the crushing loss where a villain comes out of it, who then joins your team and becomes a hero. <laughs> yeah, Maz, I mean? <laughs> Maz didn't go to the Yankees. Um, no, yeah. I got another one for you, and it also involves a New York team. David Tyree. Oh, yeah. 
Because yep. that ended the 17-0 season for the Patriots. The helmet catch and all that kind of thing. And um, yeah, I don't Eight, know. 18-0, sorry, 18-0. Which there's still, that's still such a remarkable achievement. And no one really even cares about it because you lost the last game. Right. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? That's it's another like, rare example where, you know, the Patriots were good before the Patriots were good after. Um, and that was just more of a unique situation. Kind of yeah. like the Penguins were going for three in a row. And it was interrupted and ceased by Volick. You know, the Patriots were going for how many in a row would have been three in a row for them, too? I think that would have been the third in a row. Well, regardless, it was the undefeated yeah. team. So, you know, they, that, that's that's what made that and, one unique. And that was, you know, Brady and Moss putting up all those TDs. And I mean, I yeah. think those people in Boston never were you up there then, Tim, or was that before you? Oh, went there? no, that's, that was long before I was there. That's what um, I thought. I, I can never get the time. French I was there, the, the Super Bowl I was there for, and I didn't stay for the game, but we were broadcasting the week of, and then I came back on Friday night, um, was the Marshawn Lynch game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that one, uh, so that's only, what, around 14? That was 14, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's just, I mean, these kinds of things pop up. I Maybe maybe what you could look at is the Oilers dynasty team where they won their, their uh, Stanley Cups, and then they essentially lose to the flames when Kevin Lowe puts a puck off of um, a skate and into the net, or it goes off his skate and in, and they kind of lose that game. And then the Oilers still kind of bounce back. I know they lost Gretzky in the, in the interim, but then they went on to win the other Messier cup with Messier. And, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's one we could look at that was, I think they don't forget that because it's the battle of Alberta yeah. and they, they had a known goal <laughs> kind of thing, but <laughs> which you wouldn't, you don't want to lose on a known goal in that kind of game. Mets, thanks. Appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good, Tim. Thanks for this as always. All right, so my thanks to Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. We will check in with you again one more time before the week ends on Friday afternoon. Greg Linelli from the Lightning Radio Network joins us to preview game two between the Bolts and Rangers. We'll look at the lines for that game, recap what happens in the Avalanche game against the Oilers talk some baseball as the Pirates get set for their weekend series against the Diamondbacks and mix in some more Steelers talk as well. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.